Are you trying to get started in the multifamily investing industry? Perhaps you're interested in becoming an LP in future deals. Darren Batchelder is going to discuss all about multifamily investing and his advice on how to get started. He is also going to share his tips and tricks in the podcast industry, since he is the host of Darren Batchelder Real Estate Investing Show. Darren is a multifamily syndicator, podcast host, and an investor in over 4,000 multifamily units. He is the business owner of TZK Capital since 2007. TZK Capital is focused on trading high credit quality performing real estate loan portfolios between banks to include residential, multifamily, and commercial real estate loans. Let's just get right down to business. This, this is the Joe Roberts Show. Hello, Darren. Welcome to the show. Let's get rolling by giving us a brief background about your investing experience and what assets you're in today. Hey, Joe, appreciate you having me on the show. I'm looking forward to it. A um, little background on um, my investments. I, you know, I've grew up um, going through the corporate um, kind of ranks and in different capacities as CPA sales and, and put money aside and put it into stocks and ETFs, et cetera. Um, and that was traditionally all my investments were, were stock related um, until about three years ago when I got involved in real estate. And, and um, in terms of real estate holdings, I've invested both passively I've been a key principal on a, on a number of deals, and I've also uh, been a lead sponsor in a syndication deal as well. So um, I'm invested in over 4,000 multifamily units, and um, I wish I had started real estate <laughs> investing a lot earlier. So that's, that's, the, that's the get started. Well, I think everybody, uh, based on how well the market has performed over the last five or eight years, everyone probably didn't see the opportunity that late, that was you know coming in the last decade back in 2010, and only a select few actually were purchasing. So, I think a lot of people are probably kicking themselves in the butt for not buying more over the last five years. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think that um, for me, so I. I have another business that I've been in since 2002, loan trading um, between banks, uh, single family, multifamily, and commercial real estate loans, larger loan portfolios, uh, bank to bank. And, you know, I've seen the asset class for years and, and I guess I just let fear get in the way of, of um, me actually getting into the market and combination of fear and also uh, focus on, you know, growing my business versus, you know, getting into something new. Uh, but real estate can be really intimidating, you know, to get into uh, right off the, the get-go. And um, I believe surrounding yourself with a lot of other like-minded people can really help give you the confidence to, uh, you know, take the next step forward. Do you think the perception uh, of multifamily commercial assets in the past was more institutional and not accessible to the main street investors? And that's maybe why people didn't look at it so much? I think that's definitely one reason. Um, I didn't, I, you know, I would, I've been in the space for a long time and I didn't know about syndication until three years ago. Um, and that's, I guess, one of the reasons why I started the podcast and, and one of the reasons why I, I love this industry is that we need to get the word out to more and more people. Like once you're in the little bubble of multifamily investing, you know, you hear about it and you get access to deals all the time. But if you're not in that bubble, then, you don't even know that you have that opportunity. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's a big, a big thing is that, you know, it's not written in the press and I don't know why. I mean, it's not you. I read the wall street journal since I graduated college and I never remember reading an article about syndication. Right. And um, you know, a lot of other financial, you know, news magazines and, you know, I was just never exposed to it. In addition to that, I've been involved with uh you know, a lot of different golf clubs and have been around a lot of wealthy people. And I've never, until I got involved three years ago, I was never introduced, was never offered the ability to um, invest in a private placement deal. So where was the first opportunity it was mentioned? Say that again? Where were you first introduced to multifamily or first heard about it? 
So, uh, you know, I, I saw the advantages of it when I was in the trading space, I would see, you know, the investors and I would see the underwriting and I would see tax returns and people that had, you know, um, assets of 20, 25 million and paying like no taxes, uh, because they had depreciation that was, you know, offsetting their income. Um, and so that was one thing I saw, but it was really three years ago when I, I finally decided, okay, my business was running efficiently. I had some excess time. Um, you know, I just decided I'm going to do it. And so I went and bought a, a new construction duplex and, you know, that got me in the game. Um, I knew that once I signed that contract, you look, I'm not going to make a ton of money on this. And it's going to take forever going from duplex to fourplex. So I wanted to go faster, go bigger. And so I went searching for a way to do that. And I found a multifamily mentorship group um, here based here in Dallas, uh, Brad Sumrock group. And I joined that group December of 2017. And that's when I started getting exposed to all these other people that had purchased 100 plus unit, 150 plus unit deals. And, and so I was amazed by it. And like you said in the beginning, I thought that all those larger properties were institutionally bought, but they were really bought by a syndication, which is just a group of people coming together to buy an asset they couldn't buy on their own. So were you able to leverage that group and kind of use them as your mentor and coach through doing your first acquisition deals and investment deals? Yeah, absolutely. In, in a lot of different areas. Um, so some people said to me, Darren, man, why, why are you spending the money to join this group when you've been in the multifamily trading space for, you know, for years and years and years? And yes, that's true. I understood the asset class. I understood underwriting. I understood the lingo, uh, but I had never purchased a large multifamily community. And, um, you know, so there were certain things that i you know, needed to fill in the gaps and, and also um, just get over the fear. So getting to know other people and say, well, you know, how do you, how do you get comfortable that you're not buying an asset that has a lot of structural issues? You know, I'm not an engineer, I'm a business guy. And so, you know, I just heard one after the other, like, that's not, that's no problem, man. You just hire, hire these guys and they go out and they do the inspection and they bring, you know, they bring up, you know, plumbing guy, they bring an electrician guy, they bring a roofing guy, they bring, you know, foundation guy, and they come back with a report to tell you, you know, what the assessment is on that property. So, you know what you're getting into. Um, so, some something that was holding me back, you know, it was, an, it was an easy answer, an easy solution, but talking to other people that had done it kind of pointed me in the right direction. Um, the other thing is, and you'll hear it, over and over and over again in the multifamily space is that, you know, multifamily is a team sport and that, you know, there's a lot of people involved in getting a deal done. And, and that's very true. And um, what I was able to do was leverage all these other syndicators that had done two, three, four deals and ask them, who'd you use for property management company? Who'd you use for an attorney? Who'd you use for inspection? And so there was a common theme, you know, everybody kind of used the same two, three, four people. And so that narrowed my focus on who to go after. If I was to do this by myself and I hadn't joined that group, you know, I most likely would have started by Googling like who's a good multifamily attorney in the Dallas market. Right. And, and I may or may not have picked the right one. Right. And, um, and it probably would have taken me significantly longer. So I'd say, you know, leveraging, mentors and uh, people that have already done it will definitely shrink the time um, frame from where you want to go from point A to point B. Um, and I believe that the money that you spend, you know, some people have the capital to spend on that and some people don't, you know, and, but if you do have the capital, I believe it's money well spent because, you know, if you pick the wrong partner, you know, it, that, that could cost you way more money, you know, um, or possibly an extra six months or a year to find your first deal, you know, so. No, I agree. And so many services can be outsourced to different vendors these days that really you don't need 
that big of a skill set to get started. You just need the right resources. And you, I mean, that's why I think it's so scalable as a small team and you can manage a lot of apartments is because you could outsource, outsource a lot of the, you know, property management, or like you said, the inspections and so forth. That's, that's a great point. I mean, one of the big, um, you know, the big detractors to a lot of people is I don't want to get into the rental business because I don't want to be fixing toilets and, you know, dealing with tenants. Right. Uh, but on these larger deals, you know, you have on-site, you know, leasing staff, on-site maintenance staff, and you've outsourced the, you know, the property management to a property management company. And so they're dealing with the day to day, you know? Um, and so I don't get a call when, it, when there's a new, tenant signing, you know, application being signed up, or if, you know, so there's an issue, they take care of it. And then we discuss it, you know? Um, so I, I review the reports. I ask questions. I help implement the business plan and make sure we're on track. Um, but the day-to-day is handled by the property management company. And that's what helps you uh, give you the ability to, to scale. So when you first started, how did you decide on what location or area you were going to start investing in first? So I live in the North Dallas area and, you know, the DFW area has been an awesome, you know, market for multifamily. Um, awesome in the sense that um, the returns have been very good over the last number of years and um, awesome from the standpoint that there's a lot of multifamily apartment communities, you know, in the DFW area. So it, I decided um, that I really like this market and I was going to invest here for a number of different reasons. One, I think it's a great market. Two, I wanted to learn. So I wanted to be able to drive to the property whenever, you know, I wanted to. And in the beginning I was going once a week and, and now I probably go once a month or once every two months. Um, but, uh, you know, I have kind of the view of, of DFW that Buffett has of the stock market, you know, Buffett's like, look, I don't know where the stock market's going to be in six months or a year or two years, but I'll bet anybody 10 years from now, the Dow is going to be higher than it is today. <laughs> right? And I grew up in Connecticut. I lived in South Florida for 14 years and I've been in Dallas for 10 and I'm amazed at, at Dallas and from the standpoint of, I mean, the, for a major metropolitan market, the cost of living is still dramatically lower than most other major metropolitan markets. And, um, and there's population growth. And so when I look at, you know, the next five, 10 years, I have no doubt in my mind that there's going to be a ton more people living here than we're living here now. So, with that, new people, you know, new population, new jobs, new income growth is competition for apartments. It's competition for, you know, housing. Um, and so it should be a good market in, in my mind, you know, for the foreseeable future. So for all the people that are out there, you know, searching for the right area to invest in, and obviously Dallas is a major core area that people are underwriting, you know, to add assets to their portfolio, how does one keep a competitive edge to be able to get to those deals versus the other people? Hmm. <laughs> a lot of people show, show up at the same place, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's the challenge. If you want to be in a market that is a competitive market, it's competitive, you know? So every deal, look, I, I got my first deal and then I partnered with two other guys that had a deal and I, and I was a very small minority partnership on that deal. Um, but I've been runner up in the last year, year and a half runner up three times. And um, it's competitive. Every deal in the DFW marketplace has probably 15 offers, six or seven that go into best and final or five to seven. Um, and then there's always three, you know, two, three, four that, kind of bubble up and are around, you know, around the same price. And so the broker and the, and the seller have to get together and the sellers like, you know, who should I go with? And so when I have conversations with people that reach out to me on Instagram about getting their first deal, I, I tell them, think about that conversation 
you know, think about that last conversation in that process and how are you going to get them to pick you, right? Because the broker is always going to pick, you know, a buying group that they're confident will close. So you as the new person, they're not, they're not going to ever pick you. And it's just the reality of the world. I mean, they're not going to pick you unless you're partnered with a very experienced partner that has experience um, or you way overpay on the property, you know, or you put down, you know, significantly more hard earnest money. Those are the three factors really. Um, so if you want to overpay, you can go at your own. If you want to put down, you know, everybody else is putting down a hundred thousand dollar hard money and you want to put down 500,000, well, <laughs> you might get the deal. Um, but if you want to pay market price, you know, where other people are paying, then you really need to partner with somebody that has experience on your first, first deal or for even first two deals. So do you believe that the, these type of areas will maintain also their lower cap rate or compressed cap rates compared to some other markets across the country over the next five to 10 years? Yeah. I mean, I think that, okay, what do I classify as, as a strong market, you know, uh, population growth, income growth, you know, um, uh, landlord friendly. Um, so, if you look at markets like that, you know, Texas is definitely one of them, you know, Arizona, Carolinas, Tennessee, Florida, uh, certain pockets of Florida, you know, South Florida, where I used to live, you know, the cap rates are extremely low, almost like uh, California cap rates. But um, so, you know, with more competition and more money, you know, cap rates will stay compressed for sure. Um and, but it also depends on the interest rate market, right? I mean, we just had, you know, based on COVID, you know, interest rates have gone down to all, all time, all time lows. And the Fed is saying that interest rates are going to stay there. Well, all investments are like relative value. So if all of a sudden it goes the other way and there's inflation and, interest rates rise, well, cap rates will most likely rise with that because, you know, why would you purchase a multifamily uh, community if you could buy 10-year treasuries at the same yield? You know, you wouldn't. So, there, there, there's always going to be some kind of spread. So, how can investors hedge, I guess, cap rate risk five to 10 years out on top of them utilizing their IO loans right now or a five-year period interest only to get that return that they're looking for internally. Do you see that a risk, you know, five years out and how can they kind of hedge that? Um, I mean, there's, there's always risk at any particular time that, you know, the market could be good or bad. And in my experience from the, in the loan trading side is, um, you know, people ask me that were in my personal network that invested in in the syndication with me. They they said, Darren, you know, look, I know you know the market, but you know, what's the risk in this? And I I said, I haven't been through it on the ownership, the real estate ownership side, but I've seen it on the loan trading side. And really, the the largest risk is the reset. So when you get a, you know, residential, you buy a home, you get a 30 year fixed rate mortgage. Well, when you buy these apartment communities, um, they don't have 30 year fixed rate mortgages. So, you know, most banks want to have, you know, five years or less. And then Fannie and Freddie um, are kind of the more, most attractive um, loans from the standpoint that they'll do 10 and 12 year fixed rate loans and they're non-recourse. Um, so a lot of people, go down that path. Um, so having a loan that, you know, is, it has a long-term nature where you're not, you're not going to be caught. Uh, I think the worst place to be in a multifamily or commercial real estate investment is, is in a deal and the loan is going to reset in a terrible economy. You know, at that point, you know, the ownership group, that would include the general partners and the limited partners in that deal have no leverage and the bank or whoever the lender is on that deal, you know, is going to say, 
yeah, you know, that apartment community was worth 10 million when you originated it, but now cash flow is down, cap rates are higher, and that property is only worth 8 million. So, you know, you guys got to come up with another 2 million in equity if you want me to refinance this. Well, you don't want to have that conversation, right? So to avoid that, you know, if you have a five-year business plan, but you put 10-year or 12-year debt on it, that gives you the running room to, you know, get through, you know, a more difficult economy and come out the other side and either sell or refinance in, in a better economy. Okay. So for limited partners, is that, uh, how do they kind of underrate the deal? What are some things you look for as a limited partner to underrate a deal before going into a syndication? Yeah. Um, you know, one is, you know, get educated. Um, how do you get educated? You, you know, you could join a, a multifamily group. Uh, you can read books, you could listen to podcasts. You can, um, I would suggest if you're interested in investing passively that you, you know, pick the market you want to be in, whether, you know, say you want to be in Dallas or if you want to be in, in Charlotte, wherever you want to be, pick the market and then, um, get on the investor database of as many syndicators in that market as possible. And what happens is as these syndicators, you know, go into contract on deals, they will then email you an opportunity to get on their, in their investment webinar, register for that. Even if you're not ready to invest yet, it's a learning opportunity. So, you know, first step is you have to get on their list or you'll never even get an opportunity, an invite to that, to that webinar. Secondly, once you get the invite to the webinar, register, there's no obligation to invest, you know, watch the webinar and learn from it. And as you watch more and more of them, you'll, you'll learn more about, you know, how do they market these? And, and also there's a lot of times there's Q and A from other investors on the deal. And so you'll learn from that Q and A. And with a 506B, you need to have a relationship with a sponsor prior to a deal becoming available, right? So that's where it become more important to register and establish that? Correct. Correct. And what are some key due diligence points that you look at when choosing the proper syndicator or the deal that they're investing in? Um, you know, one, a great um, indicate, you know, look, past performance is, is not indicative of, of guaranteeing future performance, um, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but, you know, talking to other passive investors that have invested in a number of deals and asking them, you know, who do you like as syndicators, you know, that's a, that's a good place to start. And, you know, they, so what does that mean? You know, what syndicators you like, right. You know, um, that means a lot. Of, it means a number of different things. One is when they presented the the initial investment deck. You know, were the returns commensurate with what they said the returns were going to be? You know, um, that that's a great indicator that okay, they understand how to underwrite these deals and 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 manage them once they close. Secondly, you know, what's the communication been like? You know, are you happy with the communication? You know, some. I'm, I'm invested passively in seven different deals. And, you know, some deals I get an email saying, Hey, everything's great. Attach the reports and that, you know, talk to you next month and others, they outline, you know, provide a lot of detail. And I happen to be a type of guy that I like, you know, to have them write out what's going on at the property, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because, I don't want to open those reports. I don't want to have to analyze the balance sheet and the P&L for every investment I'm in. I'm, you know, I'm counting on them to manage it. Um, but I do want to understand at a high level, you know, what's going on and whether we're on track. Um, so, you know, as you see more and more of those emails and more and more of those investment decks, you know, you get the feel for, you know, who do you want to do business with? Yeah, I've seen... Uh, some sponsors under communicator not do that good of a job. And then they're out there, you know, still trying to raise capital. I think a lot of them, you know, you, you got to take responsibility and over communicate to your LPs and the LPs will bring other investors in if they're happy. I mean, that just happens. Word of mouth is the uh, biggest way to get more investors into the deal. And you agree? Yeah. I, I mean, I completely agree. Um, 
having said that, I say, you know, I laugh and I say, you know, none of these deals have gone full cycle yet. Right. And so the interesting part will be after they all go full cycle, you know, the guy who was sending me the email, Hey, hey everything's great. Hear the reports. <laughs> like if, is, if his end return is better than everybody else, I I'm probably going to give him a, a pass on the communication. Um, you know, and, but the ideal is that you have great communication along the way and a great return on the back end, right? So that that's the ideal, and that's that's what I'm you know I'm hoping to provide, and every syndicator is hoping to provide, and and that's where you definitely get the word of mouth referrals. So what do you see as the biggest advantages of being a uh, LP in a real estate syndication? It gives you uh, diversification out you know outside of being in the stock market. I mean, look what happened with COVID. I know right now it looks like it's a complete, you know, V recovery and, 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 and maybe it will be, uh, you know, I'm a little bit more suspect, but even if it is, think about that, you know, two week time frame where everything was just plummeting and everybody was glued to the TV, just watching their stock investments go down and down and down and down. Well, all those syndications that I'm in, they don't have ticker symbols. So I didn't have anything on my phone showing me my net worth, you know, my investments just went from, you know, A to less 40%, you know, that happens with stocks, but it doesn't happen with these, um, these investments. Another thing that, um, you know, it's, it's real, it's tangible. It's not a piece of paper. It's, it's, you can drive to the property and see it. You know, it's, it's true people that are living in these apartments paying cash and it's positive cash flow. Another big um, factor for me is, you know, I saw this chart and I'm not going to get the numbers exactly right, but you'll get the point. You know, Fannie and Freddie are the largest lenders for multifamily in the country. And, they had a chart that showed, I think it was, it was either 60 day or 90 day delinquency um, prior to 2008. And it was like 35 basis points, you know, ridiculously low. And that's delinquency. It's not foreclosure, right? So with them being the, the largest now, during the 2008 to like 2012 time period, you know, when it, when we went into the great recession, their delinquency went up, but it went up to like 95 basis points delinquency, you know? So these guys are the largest lenders in the country. They have a ton of data to be able to pull from. And so if you underwrite a deal, Okay. And then you're trying to get Fannie or Freddie uh, a loan on it. And they come back with a loan around the same price as, you know, level as, as what you were predicting. You've got to feel pretty good. You know, it's a, it's just another um, safety guard, you know, cause they're not going to lend on deals that they think are going to go bad. You know, so that's another safety factor is, is when you get a Fannie or Freddie loan, um, they've got a lot of data to, to look at. And, and so they're, they're pretty smart in terms of um, making their decisions. So you're saying basically uh, the syndicators using their loan originators as another set of eyes to underwrite the deal for them. Yeah. I mean, they make the decision. They're not going to get involved in a deal unless they feel confident, right? They've, you know, they've underwritten it. They've provided it to a lender that they're confident about. Um, they've underwritten it. And now it goes to say Fannie or Freddie. Well, that's just another set of eyes and another kind of rubber stamp to say, yeah, you guys, you know, you have a good cash flowing asset here and, and we have confidence that this deal is going to perform. Yeah. And you were also mentioning in regards to kind of the uh, private placement or the syndication not being liquid or being tradable uh, kind of forces your hand to stay stay in there through turbulent times in the market and actually see the full business plan play out versus you know kind of panicking and selling your allocation right 
Yeah, it's it is a different animal because you know with a stock investment you can get in and get out whenever you want, and and these private placements, you know, it's typically like a five year business plan. Some syndicators say, you know, we'll try to get out in three years, um, but it you know if it's a bad economy, you know, it may end up being six or seven years. You know, so you pretty much have to think about that money is like that that money's gone for the next five, six, seven years, you know, that's in somebody else's hands. And, um, so you don't have the ability to sell at a really bad time. And that's, you know, the emotions of it, you know, get to a lot of different people, um, on the stock side and, you know, especially, well, I mean, just all different times, but, you know, I, I hate to see people that are, you know, have built up their nest egg, you know, for their entire life. And then all of a sudden they're elderly about to retire and then the market tanks and then they sell, you know, (laughs) and and like they, they're just crushed, you know, I, so these deals don't really allow for that. It's interesting because I'm seeing across, uh, you know, uh, digital assets and the talk about tokenization, which, you know, is trying to bring liquidity to these non-liquid markets, whether it be real estate syndications, venture, private equity, and so forth. And, you know, sometimes I sit back and wonder to myself, do people, are people actually doing better and making better returns because it's not, you know, liquid and tradable? And will that kind of force people to be, you know, more emotional and sell too early? That's a good question. I don't, I'm, I'm not into the, um, you know, the whole Bitcoin space yet. Um, I, I think it's interesting and I'd like to learn more about it, but I don't know much about it. Um, I think the cadre, I, maybe I could be wrong, but cadre, I believe was mentioning something about even having internally their shares to be able to be tradable after the a 12 month period within their real estate syndications. So I, I guess we'll kind of see how it plays out in the next few years, but I think some of the advantages of not being able to is that you're kind of forced to hand to hold it through the whole time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good, it's good and bad. I mean, right. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's certain, certain people that have invested in syndications and they have a life emergency that they weren't yeah. expecting and they want to access the money and, you know, they can't, you know, or it's very difficult to. And so that, you know, you, you never know when, when you're going to need something and, and, um, yeah, COVID happened, right? There's some some people may have had to tap into you know retirement funds um, and sell out of stock investments. So, you know, there, there's always unforeseen things. But I think from a return perspective, um, yeah, I mean, in, in these especially in these multifamily investments that um, you know, seeing the business plan through and and not selling at it, you know inopportune time is, is critical. And through your experiences, is there any things to look out for any uh, disadvantages of being LP or bad experiences that you've had that someone can kind of keep an eye out? Um, well, you know, there, there are syndicators that have, I mean, it's an investment, right? So it's not a guaranteed return. There's and and it's, a pro forma, it's forecasted, you know, returns. So there are certain syndicators that are, you know, just trying to get as many deals as they can get. And sometimes we'll inflate, you know, the numbers that they're saying that they're going to be able to provide. Um, so that's where it's important to talk to other passive investors and try to really understand the reputation of, of the different syndicators and, um, you know, be comfortable with who you're going to do business with. And as a limited partner, do you advise them to kind of get a, a hold of the pro forma from the GP, the sponsor and do their own underwriting on that? Or how far do you go? Um, so the, on every one of those investment webinars that, you know, you, you register for and you look at before you decide whether you're going to invest or not, the syndicator should have presented you the the business plan and the pro forma. If they haven't, then that's, uh, I, I just haven't seen that before. Um, but you know, that, I guess that's possible. Some people could invest just because they want to invest with, you know, a, a certain syndicator, but typically you'll see the, the pro forma. And if you haven't, yes, ask for it, ask for it. Um, now, now some limited partners, 
just don't have the education to be able to, you know, make heads or tails of it, you know? So um, as you look at more and more, you're going to get more confident. You're going to know what to look for. Um, but I think the, the number one thing is finding people that, you know, like, and trust, you know, um, that's, that's critical. And that ideally you have a track record. Now there's first time syndicators. I was a first time syndicator and I had people invest with me. Um, you know, there's more, I think there's more risk with that. Um, I, and that, that was one of the reasons why I brought a very experienced partner um, on as a GP with me, because I wanted to make sure I maximized returns for my investors. Um, he kind of, you know, steers me in the right direction. Most of the time he's like, Darren run with it. But every now and then he'll be like, Darren, you may want to consider this, you know, because he's been through it before. Right. And so he will, um, you know, just provide some guidance that helps us, uh, you know, stay on track. That was really good. And then I know that, uh, I guess through all this over the last couple of years, at some point you started your own real estate investing podcast. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So, um, I, you know, yeah, at the beginning of the year, I had my goals and one of my goals was to start a podcast. Um, I didn't expect to do it until kind of later in the year. And in February, I was uh, locked and loaded on like a 210 unit deal about an hour south of Dallas and really thought we were going to win that deal. And um, we ended up coming in as runner up. Um, and so you know, there's a lot of work goes involved is involved with underwriting these deals and going after these deals. And, and so I looked up to the big man upstairs and I was like, all right, what next? And, um, the idea just came into my, my head, you know, what about podcasts? I, so I Googled podcast conferences. I went down, uh, found one the next week in Orlando. I booked a ticket and went down and, um, met a bunch of people, not real estate related that, you know, I was like, I don't know how to do a podcast, you know, how to help me out. And so I met a lot of great people that told me how to do it. And, and so all of a sudden COVID happened and it ended up being a great time to really, you know, buckle down and, and uh, figure out the launch of the podcast. So I, I launched the podcast a few months ago and um, it's been fantastic because just like this, we, we wouldn't have met had, had we not, you know, been both on social media and, you know, you and, invited me on the podcast. Um, it's a great way to, to meet other people in the industry that you wouldn't have met before. And, um, you know, I interview a lot of people that, you know, are further along than me that have, you know, a thousand, 2000, 3000 syndication units. And so I'm able to ask them questions like, how'd you do it? And, and hear common themes. And, and so it helps me to try to get to the next level. So it's helped you build a lot of relationships in the industry that you're investing in today and is making your ability to execute on those deals stronger. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's, it opens you up. Remember when I mentioned uh, joining the multifamily mentorship group, well, that exposed me to a lot of like-minded people that helped me uh, answer some of the questions I had. Well, you know, since then, I've met a lot of great syndicators outside of, you know, the group that I'm in. And so, you know, um, I, you know, one person I, I met on the podcast, you know, I, I just asked him a question, Hey, I heard you have this, uh, this trip you do, you know, and he's like, Oh yeah, it's a mastermind trip. We have like, you know, you know, 20 or 30 people go and he's like, why don't you come? <laughs> and so we got off, when we got off, we talked about it and I, I'm going. So next, next month I'm, I'm going to Jamaica with like 25, 30 people that I, you know, some of them I know and some of them I don't, um, but it'll open me up to a new network. Um, another, another guest on the show, um, you know, he talked about having a, a ranch and I just, I just happened to say, Hey, my son loves the idea of owning a ranch one day. He's like, why don't you come down? So next month I'm, my son and I are going to visit him on his ranch, you know, who knows where that goes. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been great, um, from a learning perspective and also from a relationship standpoint. Yeah. For, so the ability to reach others throughout the entire community has been, a, you know, it's made a great impact on what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, it it has a, a few different, um, factors to it. One is, 
until I got involved with, we talked about it before, you know, three years ago, I didn't know what syndication was, right? I didn't know you can get involved in these deals. So part of me starting the podcast was really, all right, I want to be able to tell more people about it, not just people I meet at a real estate conference, but I want a platform to be able to get it out there and let more people know that they can get involved and how they can get involved. So that is one of the reasons why I started it was to try to expose it to other people outside of my local market. And it's, it's been great because I have people reaching out to me on Instagram saying, you know, thank you so much for putting together the podcast. Um, I really learned a ton from this episode and, you know, can we get on a call? And, and so I'm helping the next guy and then I'm interviewing people that are ahead of me that, you know, and some of those people will most likely, you know, give me a hand to get to the next level. So it, we're all in this together, man. It's like the, the great part about it is this industry people share people help each other. And there's always somebody that's behind you. And there's always somebody that's further along, you know? Yeah. I guess with Jeff Bezos, everyone feels like they can level up. Huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's skipping a few steps, you know, that's skipping a few steps, but look, Hey, it's all in your, I, I believe it, man. I believe it's, you know, like Napoleon Hill says, whatever you believe and can conceive in your own mind, you, you know, you can achieve. And I believe that, you know, I am, I'm definitely a believer that um, the first step is that you have to make a decision to go after something and believe that you can do it. And then you go figure out how to do it. It's good. And is there any secrets to, you know, editing the podcast or kind of production and how you get it done so quickly and smoothly and have the ability to be able to, you know, have time to do it every week? Sure. Um, so, like anything in life, there's, you know, whether you buy a car or a house or whatever, there's different budgets, right? <laughs> and so, I mean, you could start a podcast really inexpensive and, you know, just record it and put it out. Um, uh, I was not an expert on, on it and didn't know what I was doing. And when I went to that podcast conference in Orlando, I actually uh, sat through, uh, you know, a number of different um sessions. And, and one of which I was really impressed with this individual and when I'm talked to him afterwards and I ended up hiring him as a consultant to help me launch the podcast. And he has a team that, you know, I send the audio to, to him and his team, you know, they equalize it and make it sound great. And, and, um, you know, put all the intros and outros together and, and, um, and then they'll also schedule the, the postings for me and stuff like that. So, but with all those things, there's an additional cost to it. Right. <laughs> so, so I, thankfully for my, you know, I have the, another business and I've, I've done well, you know, financially, I have the funds to be able to do it. Um, and I'm not really looking like, okay, some people have to start a podcast and they have to figure out how to monetize it right away. I'm not really looking at that way. I'm looking at it, you know, as a long-term, um, you know, relationship builder and, and, um, you know, pro providing access to more people. But so I'm, I don't really have, you know, monetization in the, in the cards right out of the gate. Um, but I have the cash to be able to, you know, put this software and this software Cause he's like, Hey, we could do this, but you have to sign up for this software. I'm like, okay, no problem. How much is it? Oh, that's not a, not a big deal. All right, let's do it. And, <laughs> and there's like another software application that's on top of that and another software app. But what's important to me is freeing up my time, right? So if I can offload the tef technical side, you know, then that frees me up to, to be able to spend more time doing podcasts with you, you know, um, talking to people, to other investors, you know, other potential partners and brokers, lenders, et cetera. So I want to be able to free up my time. And so as much as I can outsource, um, you know, the better. No, I agree. And I think, you know, uh, someone just asked me that yesterday about the podcast too. I'm like, look, uh, you know, uh, no affiliates or no advertising or anything. I think it's just a way of building relationships. And it's one way to look at it is, you know, it's kind of like a you know, monetizing it because you're establishing relationships and it's your network in your life that's going to help you level up and do bigger things. So I think that's a, a great way to look at it. Yeah. And, it, and so it, it 
the relationships with people that you bring on the podcast, relationships with people that listen to the podcast. Um, but in addition to that, so, you know, social media, right? I wasn't on social media until about three years ago when I got involved in real estate. And, and now it's funny because, you know, there, there are people that have never liked a post or commented on a post or, or anything, but you know, I go play golf and I haven't played golf with this guy in two years. And he's like, Hey, Darren, man, I didn't realize, man, I've been seeing you. You've been, uh, you know, you're, you're doing all kinds of real estate stuff. Like I, I want to get involved on in the next deal. And like, I had no idea this guy was even interested. Right. You know, but had we, we not had a podcast, had we not been posting on social media, these other people wouldn't have known. So, you know, what I tell people is, look, you got to get over the fear of putting yourself out there. And, you know, because you're not doing it for the people that are there, there will be people that will judge you. Right. But you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for the people that wouldn't have found you. You're trying to help somebody else get into the, you know, into this business so that they can grow their wealth. You know, whether they partner with you or they partner with me or they partner with somebody else, like maybe they were introduced to syndication through your podcast. Like, and so to me, that's just being a great human being is trying to help somebody else. No, I agree. And, and documenting that journey allows, you know, listeners and followers and friends will call them to like and trust you and build that up over a period of time. I think a lot of people are, can sometimes be short-sighted in how they look at, you know, when, when they're talking LPs and so forth that sometimes we like to watch what someone's doing for maybe six months, three months, 12 months, depending on the person. Right. Yeah. And after a while, then you kind of build trust with that person. You, you get to follow what they're doing and then you're willing to be invest in their deals. And so I think as a, you know, a sponsor, you always got to, you know, nurture those relationships for a longer period of time. I, I, I completely agree. And the other thing I would say is, uh, <clears throat> you know, everybody, you know, God made all of us unique, you know, we're, each one of us is different and each one of us, you know, has the ability to impact others. And some people are going to resonate with you. Some people are going to resonate with me. Some people are going to resonate with the guy down the street. Right. So there's, you know, it's an abundance mindset. There's plenty of opportunity for everybody. And some people like are intimidated, like getting involved in, investing with somebody that's done 10 syndications, like they're just too far removed, but somebody that just did their first one or, or is, is doing their first one. They're like, Hey, I can relate to this person because I want to do that. And, and, and I'm closer, he's closer to where I want, where I am, you know? So he's just one step ahead of me. So maybe I can learn more from him than from somebody that, you know, they started 10 years ago. Right. Yeah, I agree. And so as we leave off here for our last uh, final question, what is the biggest thing that you've implemented in your life that has increased your net worth? Well, I, it's not come completely to fruition yet, but I, I would say real estate, you know, real estate. Um, I, I believe this is going to, um, it's going to grow, you know, my family's wealth dramatically over the, over the coming years, um, compared to, you know, socking away 10, 20% a year, you know, out of either your W2 income or your business income, and then hoping it's going to grow in the stock market. Um, the other thing I would say is, is taking, you know, for the listeners out there, you know, whether it's real estate or something else, man, take a risk, you know, plan for it. Right. So live below your means so that you can take some risk in your life. And whether that means starting your own business or getting involved in real estate investing, um, you know, you, you may not be successful, but you'll, you'll learn from it. And then most likely, you know, I've counseled a lot of people that have, that have ended up going into business for themselves and maybe the business turned out a little different, but I don't know anybody that went into business for themselves and then ended up going back to corporate. I just, I don't like, it's a scary thing to leave the safety net, but once people, you know, make that leap, they're like, Holy cow, I wish I did this sooner. So what I got from that is that you're very confident that 
the next decade will bring a lot more millionaires that are invested in real estate. Yeah, I, I mean, well, you know, I, I didn't know until I got involved with this group three years ago, but you know, I see the, the quote over and over and over now that, you know, 90%, I don't know where they get the quote, but 90% of millionaires were created through real estate. Well, look, I wish I had known that, you know, back in my twenties or early thirties instead of 47, but I'm glad I know it now. No, I agree. It's never too late. Right. I mean, never too late. No, absolutely not. So if people want to get a hold of you or learn more about your podcast, what is the best way for them to do that? Um, yeah, I'd say the best way is to go onto my website, uh, darrenbatchelder.com. And that's spelled D-A-R-I-N-B-A-T-C-H-E-L-D-E-R.com. Um, there you can, you can sign up and, and once you sign up, you, you'll get access to all the um, podcast episodes and weekly investing tips and that sort of thing. Um, if, if you want to reach out to me, I'm on all the social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, et cetera. Um, I spend most of my time on Instagram. So if you want to private message me, Instagram is probably the, the best place to reach me. And, and, uh, my name there is at batch elder Darren. Any, uh, any reason why Insta is your Instagram's your favorite? <laughs> Everyone yeah. seems to have a favorite or one yeah. that they dominate on. Exactly. You know, it's funny because I, I was really reluctant to start. I didn't start on Instagram until about, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago. And, um, my kids were laughing at me like dad, you're going to get on Instagram. Like, you, you know, this is for young kids. And, uh, I, I like it because I've met so many great people from it. You know, um, I, I, I don't know. I just, I found that it's, um, I think everybody just has their favorites and I've met a lot of great, I've met a lot of great podcasters, syndicators, people that want to invest in my next deal. I've met lenders. Like it's just, um, it's just been a great place to, to share and connect. Well, that's good. I appreciate all the insights you shared with us today. And Darren, thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely, Joe. It was a blast. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a rating and review. See you on our next episode. Thanks for listening to The Joe Roberts Show. Take these tips and insights that you can use to help grow your own personal wealth and share them with a friend that could also benefit. Don't miss a single episode or updates. Subscribe to our email list at joerobert.com. And as always, keep pushing yourself towards a more impactful life. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. Joe Robert Show.